0: The following sermon is from Christ Church, Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Okay, if you have your Bible, you open it to the book of Numbers, the Old Testament book of Numbers? We as a church are reading through the Bible in six months. You thought reading through the Bible in the year was ambitious. We decided to double our pace and read through the Bible in six months. And I imagine that many of you feel like I do a little behind the eight ball. Raise your hand if you're trying to keep up but have fallen behind. Come on, be honest in church. Yeah! All right, that's okay, that's no problem. That happened to me and it'll happen to you and God is gonna give you little windows of time when you're gonna have nothing to do. All of a sudden, it might be sleepless nights, but you will have time to finish up and catch up on your Bible reading. But I wanna continue to move our way through what we are covering in our Bible reading. And if you're just joining us, you don't, well, you're gonna get a whole sermon today. You don't have to have read Genesis to Numbers to make sense of what we're gonna talk about this morning, but I do wanna, I do wanna plead with you to consider taking the scriptures very seriously. This is the revelation of God that leads to life. This is the revelation of Jesus, the Christ. Everything you need to know for eternity is right here and it's not easy to find. It's accessible to read, but it's not always easy to find. So we're doing that together and I'm excited to do that together in the book of Numbers. Uh, Our reading kind of ended Friday with Numbers and then yesterday we were in the first few chapters of Deuteronomy, but I promise you I'm gonna have self-control and I'm gonna say nothing about Deuteronomy until next week. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. But I wanna go back to Numbers and I wanna talk about a couple themes in Numbers and I think the best way to do that is to read uh, Numbers 14, starting in verse one, which uh, Numbers is like the worst title a book has ever received. you know that? Those are not divinely inspired. The, the book names are not divinely inspired. And in fact, the Hebrew name for the book of Numbers comes from the opening line of the book of Numbers, just like the rest of the Old Testament in Hebrew. And that is, In the wilderness. Isn't that a better title? In the wilderness? You're like, Numbers? What am I reading my contact list in my cell phone? Does not sound spiritually nourishing. So, Numbers should be in the wilderness. And it it recounts the story after God has delivered his people under the leadership of Moses out of Egypt in the Exodus and into the wilderness, what takes place in the wilderness. Of course, in their rebellion, and the book is really about the people's disbelief and rebellion. Part of the judgment is that first generation of Israelites who left Egypt are, are judged and left to stay in the wilderness for 40 years and only their children, children's children enter the promised land. And so that's kind of what we're gonna see. And Numbers chapter 13 is a big section where Moses sends out 12 spies into the promised land. So he's brought them right to the cusp of the promised land, sent the spies out to observe the land to see whether it's good or bad, whether it's cities or weak or fortified, whether it's inhabitants or large or small, whether it's fruit is good or bad. And so they've, they've sent out these 12 spies and now they've returned from their research expedition with some of the sampling of the fruit of this land. And it is phenomenal. We're talking very, very fruitful and a good report about the condition of the land. It's, it's just as good as God promised, maybe better. However, The people who are there are strong and the cities that are there are fortified. And 10 of these 12 spies come back with a a word of failure. We are not gonna make it. They're gonna kill us. We're gonna go into this land and we're gonna be slaughtered. And you can just hear in there, as you read what they report to the people, the people's responding by going, oh, 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 they're losing their minds, right? And so everyone says, okay, this is not good. And this is what happens and leads us up to Numbers 14 chapter 14 verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, Moses being the leader, Aaron his brother, the high priest. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This is an actual insurrection. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied the land, the two of the 12 who came back with a good report, tore their clothes and said to the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. And there's a little play on words in the original Hebrew because the 10 spies had said that the land is going to consume us. It's going to eat us. And Caleb and Joshua say, nah, that land's ours and we're going to munch on it like a sandwich. So there's a little play on words. They continue, their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You wanna hear the, con- the congregation's response in verse 10? Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. <laughs> Not the reception I was looking for. I mean, I've preached to rough crowds before, but yikes. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. This is a theme too. You probably saw as you read through Numbers that there was often a, a, uh, an attack on the leaders that God raised up. And they were about to be rejected and annihilated. And God always responds. He always shows up to defend his anointed one, to defend his appointed one. And this is no different. So then the Lord speaks to Moses, not the the spies, not the people of Israel, but to Moses. How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I've done among them, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them and I will make you a greater nation and mightier than they. So you're getting a little kickback to the Noahic story in Genesis chapter six when the whole earth had done evil continually. And so God says, I'm gonna wipe them all out and Noah, I'm gonna start over with you. There was a blessing on Adam. There was a blessing on all of humanity, but they've turned aside. I'm looking for a faithful one. I'm looking for a righteous one to show favor to and you're that one. I'm gonna start over. But in this case, Moses does not, accept this calling, this Noahic offer, but instead, like the mediator that he is going to be a foreshadow of Jesus, he begins to intercede on behalf of the Israelites. Look in verse 13. But Moses said to the Lord, well, God, this is is, uh, Moses doing public relations for the Lord here. Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land They have heard of you, O Lord, they are in the midst of your people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face and your cloud stands over them and you go before them in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them that he has killed them in the wilderness. That won't look good for you. And now, please, Let the power of the Lord be great, as you have promised, saying, and here Moses says to God, the revelation of God's name. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. So God allows the effects of fallenness to make its way through the generations of humanity, but he is not in the business of giving people what they deserve. In fact, he is a forgiving God. And in verse 19, Moses says, please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Verse 20, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But, but, verse 21, this is, this would be in my big butts of the Bible series coming to a theater near you. But, truly as I live, and I love this for us today, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, in as certainty as I exist and yet to be seen, but as certain as that the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in my wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Father, we thank you for your word that has been read in our hearing. Lord, as distant and disconnected as some of these stories can be and as puzzling as they are for us, Lord, when we sit back and contemplate them, when we consider them and meditate upon them, God, what we get is a vision a picture, a revelation of your steadfast love and forgiveness, of your power to deliver, and ultimately, God, of your intervening in human history to become one of us, that you, by the death of your son Jesus, might deliver us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. God, I pray as we are in our own wilderness wandering in this light, having been delivered from spiritual Egypt into freedom and yet not having come into the promised land. God, I pray that our life would not be one where we put you to the test, where we live lives of unbelief and idolatry, God, but instead that we would be faithful people who do not despise you, but who honor you as God and respond with the spirit of Caleb. God, I pray this morning, as we study your word together, Lord, that you, Holy Spirit, would speak directly to our hearts, that you would reveal where unbelief exists and idolatry exists so that we could repent and return. And God, I pray that we would have eyes fixed on our savior, Jesus, and feet that follow and walk according to your Holy Spirit. God, I know you have so much to say, and so we just invite you. We have limited time, but our hearts are hungry. And so speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'm sure as you read Numbers, you experienced the annoying nature of the constant grumbling of the Israelites. That's a feature that Moses wrote in on purpose. And so if it was starting to annoy you just by reading it, it was having its intended effect. Now, I know none of you are like that at all. I know that none of you grumble or complain about anything all the time. And if you were the Israelites, you would not have made the same mistakes that they have made. (laughs) Your children, on the other hand, they are the ones constantly complaining and and groaning and moaning about all the things. Or maybe it's your grandchildren, or maybe it's skipped a generation. I don't know how it works. I'm not there yet. But I can tell you this. While it is kind of difficult for us to connect sometimes with this experience that the Israelites had in the wilderness, um, we're actually not too dissimilar from them in a lot of ways. I was reminded of this, I was thinking about just as expensive as everything has gotten recently. Have you guys noticed the soaring cost of food? Have you been to your favorite restaurant and got the same thing that you got last year and it's like twice as much money as it used to be? And then the portion got smaller. You're like, what is happening around here? And so like, it's becoming quite the luxury to eat out. Several weeks ago, It actually made months ago at this point, we were leaving church and we didn't have plans. And so Tiffany and I were talking about lunch plans and this is one of those AB conversations and the kids need to see their way out of it. You remember those conversations? And so we're talking about where we're gonna go. And I said, let's go to Cinnamon Tree Cafe. It's one of my favorite places for after church. it wasn't three o'clock, they were still open. And I heard a couple of the kids go, you know, "Eh, cinnamon tree. And then some little noise from the back seat, and I will not identify the child made this sound. Ah you know that sound cinnamon tree i don't like cinnamon tree (laughs) and you know how men and women process differently my first thought is i don't care what you like (laughs) daddy wants cinnamon tree i always wondered why they didn't have in minivans and suvs that limo window what's the deal what's the deal You guys know we have kids back there? Nobody thought of this? I don't understand. That should be a normal feature in every vehicle. (laughs) It's crazy too, because one of them makes that sound and then the other ones are like, oh yeah, that's right, all they have in there are pancakes, and I don't wanna eat that. I wish Chick-fil-A was open on Sunday. And here's how mommy responds, okay, that's fine. We're all just gonna go home and eat peanut butter sandwiches. (gasps) No! you know. They thought they could talk her out of it. Nope. She was like, everybody gets peanut butter. Peanut butter for you, peanut butter for you. No jelly, no honey, no Nutella. You eat your peanut butter. See if you complain next Sunday when we say we're going out to lunch. Next Sunday, no one has an opinion. That sounds great. Because we all know that children are like that. But not us. We don't make those sounds. We don't do that. Our moans and groans sound more like this. You have got to be kidding me. <laughs> you guys ever said that to yourself? I said this to myself. We uh, we got a new dishwasher last year. Not even a year ago, I got a dishwasher, and it was I finally upgraded to the one with the metal drum. Because I was I just it drove me nuts. We turned the dishwasher on, we're sitting there at nighttime, the kids are asleep and we're hearing, <laughs> like, goodness gracious, can we get a dishwasher? that does not sound like we're pressure washing the dishes in the kitchen, you know? So we get the nice dishwasher, and, um, and it's nice and quiet, and everything works, and then, like last week, I go to wash the dishes, and thing's unresponsive, and I'm like, oh, great, now I gotta fix the dishwasher, and I've done this before, I've got skills, you know? So I'm like, do the little thing, and I get on the little book, and I find out a little code, and I enter the numbers, and guess what? It's giving me numbers that you can't fix. It says, call a service technician. I said, oh, no, I don't call service technicians. I fix things. I preach the Bible, and I fix things. That's what I do. <laughs> and so I get on. I'm, I'm Googling, and I'm like, "How do you? What's this code mean?" It's on lockdown. They got all those codes. Whirlpool's like, "No, you don't. You're gonna get a technician." I get on the phone with them. I gotta wait a week to get a technician. I got no dishes. I'm over there washing dishes by hand. You have got to be kidding me! You know, <laughs> going. You're having this this feeling. It's less than a year old. I'm not gonna wait till Wednesday. And someone's gotta be at the house. Someone 18 or older. It's, Whole thing, right? And maybe I have a little bitterness because I was the dishwasher growing up. We did not have a dishwasher growing up. Raise your hand if you did not grow up with a dishwasher, automatic dishwasher. That's why I love this church. You got real people who do real things. We don't, my, I moved out when I was 18 and within a month, my dad had installed a dishwasher. I'm not kidding. I walked in and I was like, you've, you've got to be kidding me. Seriously? One month, I washed all these dishes. So I'm hand washing dishes. I'm blowing money on paper plates. I'm like 13 cents, 13 cents, 13 cents right into the trash can. All this resentment. Urgh! What's what's the deal here, folks? And I'm making fun of the dishwasher situation. We could apply this to some serious things that would make you all sweat a little. But we're limited on time, so It's built into the human condition to take our eyes off of what's important and to lower our eyes down into our convenience, our comfort, our desires, our appetites. And sometimes we don't need help, sometimes we do. It says the rabble stirred up the people at one point in the, in the story. Well, Whoa, the rabble. These are the people who were Egyptians who, these are like the low-income Egyptians. They're like, I'd rather be with them than with what y'all are going through, so I'm out. But they followed the Israelites and they stirred them up. Remember? You remember the, uh, the produce department in Egypt? Remember that? Remember the leeks and the garlic and the cucumbers? Mmm, those cucumbers. I wish I had manna that tasted like cucumbers. And they just stirred up everybody's, and the grumbling begins. And so we see this pattern in numbers that the people continue to take their eyes off the miracle of deliverance that they had experienced and taking their eyes off the miracle of promise that they were moving towards, and taking their eyes off the miracle of the presence of God with them in that moment, and lesser things and desires had turned them into unbelieving and evil, grumbling, complaining who were rejecting God's leaders and wanting to go back to their location of slavery. And this is the human condition. Now, there are some differences, and we will talk about them, but this proclivity in the human heart is still existent today. And it's why the author of Hebrews writes in chapter three, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. All those things are lies, by the way. You know, it doesn't matter. The cucumbers are not better in slavery. Can I get an amen? Don't go back to your old job. Don't go back to your old life. That little bit of taste wasn't worth what you were enduring, right? For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt, led by Moses? With whom he was provoked for 40 years was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness and to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest but those who were disobedient so we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief and this is our this is our big challenge too today it's unbelief it's so simple but it's our challenge do you believe god or do you not do you take your eyes off his prize and do you walk down here causing you to grumble and complain and so i want to help us all To fix our faith on God's promises. To fix our eyes on the leader that God has provided and to fix our feet by his Holy Spirit. And I need a miracle of deliverance to do all that in nine minutes. (laughs) We gotta fix our faith on God's promises. The wilderness is enigmatic paradigmatic of the test it's the testing period it's the place that god brings you to reveal to you what you're made of and to give you an opportunity to put your trust in him that's what the wilderness is it's about you coming in out of the comfort of the old life that was also enslaving and into this new unknown place where only god exists and there's no answers but ultimately when you encounter god there it's so that he can deliver you into the promised land where you not only get all the blessing of the promised land but you get god himself the problem is everybody wants the promised land but not all of us want god himself And so we have this period of time between our deliverance from the kingdom of darkness into this church age, into this age where we walk with God, where we are awaiting a promised land with the return of Christ and a forever kingdom, but we are here in exactly the same situation, a wilderness of sorts where we have the choice between fixing our eyes on God's promise, fixing our faith on what God has said and living according to that, or looking other places, having other appetites, charging God with cutting us off from something good And rejecting him to create our own path that ultimately leads to destruction. And God wants to rescue every single one of us from that pathway. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he uses this story to warn the Corinthian church against idolatry. And the reality is is that when we detach our faith from God's promises, and all of us start by, we become a Christian by putting our faith in God's promises, do we not? Right, believe and receive. You trust in Christ, and then you receive forgiveness, and you become into His family. The problem is, we can unplug our faith from God's promises, but our faith does not stay unplugged. It has to be plugged into something, and so it will find a lesser thing to be plugged into. And that thing, that unbelief, turns us into idolatry, and that's what Paul talks about in First Corinthians ten. He says, "I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all drank." ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was christ so god was doing the same thing it's a picture of what would come but he was being consistent verse 5 nevertheless with most of them god was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. There's no one too good, okay? Don't stand in judgment over our ancient Near Eastern counterparts or each other, because we're all susceptible to disbelief and idolatry, every single one of us. No temptation has take overtaken you that's not common to man. That's the good news. We're all in this together. But with the temptation, he also will always provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. What does that look like for you? I'll tell you what it looks like for me. Here's what it looks like for me. I'm driving to church on a Monday in my 2004 F-150, and it's not pretty, but it is reliable as the day is long. It is paid for, and I've had it for almost six years. And I pull up to a stoplight next to a 2023 (laughs) F-150 that is the equal of my truck in every way, and yet somehow is far superior. And I look at that truck and I think, that is a nice truck. And then I look at it a little longer until the light turns green and somebody honks. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about? And then I just can't stop thinking about, huh? I deserve a nice truck. I'm a good dad. I work hard. Why can't I have a nice truck? And so I spend a little time looking online. <laughs> and I have this experience, $86,000. You've got to be kidding me. I'm happy with my truck. 45 minutes later, I'm like, well, what's a 2018 running these days? No, I'm they're, pretty, they're pretty nice. 49,000, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, hmm, what's the payment on (laughs) $49,000? You guys do the same thing too? $837, crazy. I like my truck. How long are they financing trucks these days? 108 months, you know? You guys do this thing? What's happened here? I believe I will be happier in that lane instead of this lane do you see it's just unbelief and idolatry because I'm living my life on purpose I've got a lot of reasons why I'm driving that truck because I want to do things that that payment would not let me do you see how this works and so the gods call me to walk this lane and I'm imagining myself over in this lane and sometimes you let that drift take you into idolatry and you're thinking that thing you know what will happen though here's what will happen here's what I know will happen I will make that choice, I will have that truck, and I will sitting at the stoplight going, I cannot afford to drive this truck. Lord, have mercy on me, this truck payment. Oh God, deliver me from that which I put my trust in. Do you guys know this experience? Have you ever had that experience? Yeah, I don't wanna make that mistake. So this could look a lot of different ways for a lot of different people, but the point is when we detach our faith from the God of the promise, we ultimately end up sticking it someplace else and falling into idolatry. And if we run down that road long enough, it ends in our own destruction and God's calling his people back. And so we gotta learn to fix our faith on God's promises. And I'm telling you, the way that happens is by fixing our eye on our leader. We gotta have our eye on our leader. Do you guys have a little hard time with numbers? How many of you guys were like, what is going on in this book? I always find it easier to read a book of the Bible, Old Testament book of the Bible, when I have kind of like some outline of how it's supposed to be read. And so I was like looking for that. I'm like, you could read it geographically. Like, okay, we're over here in Sinai and then we go into Paran and then Moab. That didn't help. And I'm looking for like, how do I read this? And everything's out of order in Numbers. Did you guys notice that? God said he was gonna judge them for having rebelled 10 times. I read that and I was like, I didn't see 10. I got to chapter 14, I didn't count 10, I counted one. And then I read the rest of the book and I got six more. That's seven, not 10. Then I realized, oh, there was three in Exodus seven in, in Numbers, that's 10. Things are way out of order here. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Read it, read it, read it again, read it again. Here's what I found though. You know, There is a bunch of different ways you can read through Numbers, but one of the ways you're supposed to read through Numbers is to recognize the rebellion of every single player in Numbers from the outside in. It's concentric circles of unbelief. You get the rabble, those Egyptians who are along for the ride, they're the first ones to go. Then you get the people of God grumbling and complaining. Three times they grumble and complain then what happens? God's chosen tribe, the Levites, who are the ones who are protecting the presence of God and being intermediaries for the people of God in the presence of God, they have an uprising. And they, they tell Moses and Aaron, I, you guys aren't any special, more special than us. And what happens? The ground swallows them up. Then Aaron and Miriam come to Moses. God didn't only speak to you. Mo, and Miriam, Boof, leprous for seven days. Yikes. And then Moses himself, God says, speak to the rock. And what does Moses do? strikes that thing two times and says we making himself equal with God but how many of you guys read that story and thought oh for that Moses gets kicked out of the promised land that feels a little severe doesn't it but the point is there is no faithful Israelite there is no perfect leader there is no there is no blameless high priest the people whom God has chosen Unbelieving. The tribe that God has chosen to represent them, unbelieving. The high priest that God has chosen to lead them, unbelieving. The deliverer that God has anointed to lead them, unbelieving. There is not a seed of the woman, like we read in Genesis 3:15, who would ultimately destroy and crush the head of God's enemy and deliver God's people. And so there is an expectation that there will be another leader. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is that leader. <laughs> And so you'll start to see Jesus happening all over Numbers in very strange places. Remember when the people complain and God sends a plague of snakes? Snakes, snakes, remember? Snakes. That's the bad guy and God lets him come in. And then what's the miracle of deliverance? Moses intercedes and God gives him an answer but the answer is not pest control. The answer is not all the snakes just die. The snakes stay. But the people who get bit are told... To look to a bronze snake on a stick. And Moses is supposed to hold the serpent, the fiery serpent for everybody to look to. And when you look to the serpent on the stick, that is when you are healed. The symbol of the evil is erected on a cross of wood. And there the evil is destroyed. And anyone who would look to it finds deliverance and healing. Sound familiar? You don't have to put the pieces together by yourself because Jesus does it for you. In John chapter 3, When Nicodemus comes to Jesus, the Pharisee, but he comes under the cover of darkness because he doesn't want to be found out that he's talking to Jesus because Jesus is still suspect number one. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, first episode of Nick at Night. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he goes, he goes, we know you're from God. We know it. We all know it. We know you're from God. Jesus says, you got to be born again. Nicodemus is like, what? What did you say? You gotta be born again. If you want to enter the kingdom, you gotta be born again. And what's the mechanics of this, Jesus, Pertel? Like, uh, how's that supposed to work? Jesus says in verse 10 of chapter three, are you the teacher of Israel? You don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Here's Jesus speaking on behalf of the fullness of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can I how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? I'm gonna re- make some revelation to you. I could, and you, but are you gonna believe it? That's the question, right? Are you gonna have an unbelieving heart or are you gonna have a believing heart? And then he says, 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. There's the one of us who've been there. You wanna hear about heavenly things? I know them, I've been there, I'm that guy. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You know the next verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see Jesus in numbers? You see him? He's right there. Moses ain't him. Aaron ain't him. Miriam ain't her. Levites, not those guys. Israelites, nothing special. Rabble, should have left him in Egypt. But there is someone to look to and we gotta learn to fix our eyes on him We see Jesus again in the oracles of Balaam. How'd you guys like that Balaam story? Did you read that? You're like, okay. All this stuff's happening down here in the desert. People are complaining against God, grumbling. Moses is staving off the judgment of God as a mediator of sorts. And unbeknownst to anyone, the foreign kings from the promised land are conjuring a sorcerer to put a curse on God's people. And he can't. He tries three times. Strike one. Strike two. Strike three, swing and a miss. And in fact, he keeps blessing them instead. And what happens after he's done his divination and he's trying to curse the people of Israel and he can't do it, and, and Balak the king is off infuriated, then something special happens. Balaam, this pagan sorcerer, instead of doing his omens, he experiences the power of the spirit of God comes on him and he begins to prophesy. And he says, oh, I see something. I see something in the distance. He says, I see a star coming out of Jacob. He says, he's not near, but he's coming. And I see a scepter that will rise out of Israel and crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. The victor is gonna come and destroy the enemies of God. And he's in the distance and he's growing up out of this people and nobody can stop him. And his name is Jesus. And aren't you glad we don't have Moses to look to? Aren't you glad we don't have a numb skull like me to look to? Aren't you glad we've got the victorious and ascended Jesus Christ to look to? You want to fix your faith? Fix your eyes on Jesus. I want to talk to you about the spirit that Caleb had, and I don't have time, but I am going to talk about it in the podcast, so that's going to scratch that itch. And I hope that you'll follow uh, online because... The way that god makes this happen is by doing something different on the inside of you one of the main ways that we are different from the israelites is that they were characterized by stone-cold dead unbelieving hearts and before jesus came we all had the same problem you know that and every time we have a sunday service i imagine there's some people sitting in the audience and their minds are very alive and their ears are tuned in and you can make sense of everything i'm saying but your spirit is cold and dead on the inside And when you hear this truth about who Jesus is, God does a miracle by his Holy Spirit. That's what being born again is all about. And suddenly there's faith in your heart and you take your first breath as a new man or a new woman because you know that you know that you know that that Jesus is the rightful ruler of the universe and he died that you would live and he's your personal Lord and Savior. When you put your faith in him, you come to life. And because of his sacrifice of atonement you are now cleansed from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet to become the temple of the living God by his Holy Spirit that spirit that took over Balaam for a minute and he prophesied that spirit that filled the 70 that Moses sent out and they prophesied that spirit that Joshua and Caleb had that spirit isn't given in fits and starts but without measure because of Christ and you have access to that spirit every day and so you hold on the promises of god by faith and you get up every day and fix your eyes on god's leader jesus and you watch how you make it through this life not falling to the side in unbelief or in idolatry and you walk in the footsteps of the holy spirit and you will find yourself surrounded by the presence and power of god listen the spirit of god gets up every day and moves in this earth and you can move with him or without him you want to endure you want to make it you want to walk in power I'll tell you what i would rather be clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit in my 19-year-old pickup truck yes. then be bowing to the idol that is the Ford Motor Company and a slave to him for 108 months. Do you know that? Because that's where the power comes, to believe and to not fall away, to worship the living God and to come into his promised land with the full blessing that he wants to put on every one of us. And that offer is available to you today for the first time if you've never given Jesus your life and asked for forgiveness. And it's available to every son and daughter who will wake up every morning, awake to who God is, his presence, his reality. Fix your eyes on Jesus, walk in light of who he is and walk where his spirit goes. That's God's gift to you. And I hope that you walk in it. Amen. Amen. Lord God, I thank you for every person present and in my hearing. God, thank you for the richness of your word. God, we haven't even come close to digging into all that's going on in this Old Testament book and understanding all these strange stories, but we, we see enough to know that you are the faithful God, steadfast in love and faithfulness to a thousand generations, God, and we can trust you. God, no matter what wilderness we have to walk through, and it's not fair, and it's not the same for all of us, it's different for every single one of us. But we know that we have a leader who has gone before us, who has full access into the presence of God and who brings us in, having been cleansed by the sacrifice of himself. And God, we thank you that your spirit is alive and active, speaking to us through your word, leading us in our hearts every day. And God, we want to just walk one foot in the footsteps of the spirit of God every single day. And I pray, God, that you would strengthen us as your people to live lives that are not characterized by unbelief, but by dedication and faith in your promises with eyes fixed on Jesus and footsteps following after your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for every person in my hearing that has not relinquished control and in repentance and faith turned to to, to Jesus. God, I pray right now as their spirits are stirred, God, that they would make the active and conscious choice to say, God, forgive me, save me, I am yours forever. And God, I thank you that you meet that simple prayer with eternal life and saving faith and begin this journey from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. And I pray that as that happens this morning, God, that new life will come and that lost sons and daughters will be adopted and brought back in. That there will be new members in the kingdom of heaven and that those precious to you would be born again. It's a miracle. So we pray for it. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, our, our prayer team's gonna be right up here. If you prayed that prayer with me, I wanna invite you to come.